We are finishing up a series on ethos where uh, we've been talking through our mission statement, and hopefully it has been ingrained in your mind and in your heart, but if it's not, I want to review it with you again. Here's what it is, is that we are a, next slide here, we are a family of followers of Jesus helping others follow Jesus. You got the magnets, you're ready to go? Okay, if you don't have a magnet, there's some out there for you. We want to make sure this mission statement is something that sinks into us as who we are as a community. Now, the first week when we went through this, we talked about how family is our gospel position. So because of God's perfect son, we are able to become children of God as well. Through Jesus Christ, we have this love that's been lavished on us by the Father. And so we are, um, this is our, our gospel position is that we are a family. But then we talked about how our gospel posture is that we're followers of Jesus. We're not just family, we're a family specifically following after Jesus, doing what he did, saying what he said, actually trying to serve and love like he served and loved. And last week we talked about our gospel Purpose, which is helping others follow Jesus. This morning, I want to finish up the series by talking about our gospel passions. By identifying and unleashing the ways that we can individually and collectively um, be un- un- unleashed into the kingdom together. In our gospel passions, the ways that God has uniquely made us. And I want to open this with an illustration from my backyard. Raise your hand here if you are a, uh, a gardener. There's some of you, okay. You don't have to be shy. That's okay. You like gardening? We like gardening too. Uh, Lathers, we have a, 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 some raised beds in the back of our, our house. And so our gardening season technically starts uh, Easter. We have a tradition where what we do is to remember the, the death and resurrection of Jesus and his burial and then resurrection. We plant seeds on Easter Sunday. We label them. We put them in those little incubator things, you know what I'm talking about, with a plastic top on them. And we put them, those seeds, we water them. We put them in our front picture window. And then depending on the Wisconsin weather, we eventually try to transfer those seeds when it's safe after frost time. We try to transfer those out to our our garden beds in the back. Now, those of you who are gardeners, you know that gardening is kind of a lot of work, isn't it? Right? I mean, are you like me? You go to the farmer's market and you go, oh my goodness, this is way better than gardening. You just buy it. It's so fresh. It's so amazing. You know, but, but there's a lot of work that goes into it, to watering, weeding. And, and, and so one of the things that we grow in, in our backyard is um, pole beans because we like beans. They're good for you. And my dad's kind of MacGyver, and he, he's concocted this PVC thing, okay? And I, I, I want to show you a picture of it in a minute. But so we have this PVC thing with, with the vines that hang down, the pole beans grow up, and there's beans that just kind of grow all summer long, and it's great. Let me, though, get an amen from the gardeners when I say, tell me this, what is one of the biggest, tra- is, is not one of the biggest tragedies of gardening produce that's not harvested? Can I get an amen? Does that break your heart when you have like har- produce that should have been harvested that's not harvested? Take a look at this. This next slide. That makes me want to curl up in a ball and suck my thumb a little bit because, like, we, you know, we went through all this weeding, all this watering, and all these beans are just sitting there, and they're yellow, and folks, they're not, those not, that's not the yellow kind of bean, okay? They're supposed to be green. What's amazing about these things is, is when they're harvested, when they're fresh, and even when they're smaller, my kids will be out there pulling them off, popping them off, eating them, and not only are they, like, tasty, but they're really good for you. Like, they're really nutritious. You can bring them inside, steam them up. Sometimes we freeze them and have them over the winter. Not so this year, because we've just got, we got too distracted and too busy. We left these things in the vine. I was like, oh, after all that work. We even had Japanese beetles this year. They kind of tried to destroy them, but didn't. <laughs> 
Let me give you another example. So, I don't know if you know, zucchini is not necessarily supposed to look like this. Okay? But you who have raised zucchini, you know, you turn your back on a zucchini, it looks like this. For five minutes. Like, what just happened? And then you don't go, oh, look at this gigantic zucchini. You're like, what do you do with this gigantic baseball bat? Now the kids are out in the front yard like this, you know, waiting for the gourds to come in. You know, you can, some of you look at this and say, well, Troy, obviously you can make zucchini bread. Well, yeah, you can. You can make banana bread out of moldy old bananas, too. That's not the point. This is supposed to be harvested before this, right? Now, here's the reason. I bring that up. I bring that up because here's the picture, I think, sometimes of, of, of us as a family, as a body, as a church, is that we look like this. That, that we maybe have been on the vine, we maybe been planted, watered, seeded, but we're not being harvested. That's a tragedy. And I want to I do maybe a mutual confession, okay? Let me confess uh, from, from leadership's standpoint that sometimes we've just struggled to do that. We've struggled to leverage the giftings of the body at times. We don't have a, a really good system in place to figure that out. And, and I know personally sometimes I'd just rather do things myself than, than leverage some of the giftings that are in this room. So I'm sorry, and we're going to try to fix that. I, I don't necessarily even know exactly how we're going to do that yet, but we're going to talk about it first. I think that's the right direction. One of the other first things that we can do is, is maybe have you help own a little bit of that as well. So I want to own some of it. I want you to own some too and say, you know what, Troy, I may be on the vine a little bit. I may kind of look like this zucchini because maybe I've got some giftings that God's given me that I'm not leveraging for the kingdom. And so if we can con- together say, hey, this is what we need to confess to one another and, and see to work forward, I think we can start to grow together as a body and be nourished like those beans They're so healthy, so good for you. So to do that today, we're going to talk about gospel passions. And and to be very clear in the vision here, um, if you would say Kettlebrook Church is my church, I'm part of Kettlebrook, uh, we've talked through the first three weeks of what we want from you, what we desire for you, we want you to be leveraging your gospel passions. Okay? That's, I hope that's very clear. We want you to leverage your gospel passions. I want to talk through that with you through a text today, Ephesians chapter 4. So grab a Bible. And turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. I'm not going to put the slides up to read up there, but I want you to read the Bible with me on page 828 or Ephesians chapter 4. And um, to set the context for you, when we, before we dive into these, Ephesians is a letter that was written by a guy named Paul who hated Christians, wanted them dead, but then met the resurrected Jesus. His life was changed and he became an ambassador for Jesus. He was such an ambassador, he got thrown in prison for his faith. And he's in Rome. He's writing a letter to the church in the city of Ephesus that he kind of helped plant and start there. This is what we find. And, and the, the letter of Ephesians is divided in half. The first half is uh, chapters 1, 2, and 3. And in that first half, what, what Paul's writing is he's saying, hey, let me talk to you about who you are in Christ, your eth- his ethos. The back half is the ethics. This is then, therefore, how you should live. Knowing all these amazing privileges you've been blessed with because of Jesus, this then is how you are now responsible to live this out. And so we're going to read this in chapter 4. This is kind of the hinge point of the letter. The back half starts here. I'm going to pray before we read this. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these words that Paul wrote a long time ago that have your spirit on them. Father, I pray that as uh, you've mentioned in here, that this can divide between the bone and the marrow, the joint and the sinew. And Lord, I pray that this would not come back void. It's another promise that I, I believe you will hold true to this morning. Father, more than anything I say, would these words I'm about to read speak specifically to our hearts. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here we go. 
chapter 4, verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But, can you read this with me, this this next five words? To each one of us. To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, and then what Paul's going to do is he's going to quote Psalm 68 here, which scholars believe refers back to Moses and the Ten Commandments. And then he's going to give us a parenthetical phrasing. It's about Jesus. Here's, here's what he says. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. Parenthetical phrase here. What does he ascended mean, except he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. That's Christ he's talking about. Verse 11, it was he, Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors or shepherds and teachers to prepare God's work, God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as, read this with me, as each part does its work. This is God's word. This is God's word. Now, there is a lot going on in these 16 verses, okay? I'm really going to hone in on just verse 11, but I want to set the stage for you. And the big idea of this text in general is that Paul is saying there is diversity in the midst of our unity leads to maturity, okay? Diversity in the midst of our unity leads to maturity. That's kind of the overarching what's going on in this part of the text. Where he's saying, hey, here's the blessings that you've received in Christ. You're to be one. This is one of your first responsibilities. Is you're to be unified. But, in the midst of your unity, each of you has been given gifts. Each of you has been given grace as as apportioned by Jesus. And as we live these gifts out, we're going to grow together into maturity. The maturity of Christ. So again, I want to I want to hone in on just verse 11. Verse 11 is one of five lists of spiritual gifts that we find in the New Testament, and um, this one here seems to be a different sort of list than the other ones because this seems to be talking about a kind of person. It's like people gifts, if you would. If you could think through maybe the first ever Myers Briggs, sort of like that, but not. Okay, I want you to think in terms of personality. Okay, and as we go through this, I want you to think through. Um, these five terms are going to look at, I want you to think through, is there any way that you might personally identify with some of these? Okay? Before we do that, though, I want to give you a disclaimer. Um, not everybody, not all our brothers and sisters throughout the history of the church have agreed with what, the way I'm going to interpret this text and the way that I think we as leadership interpret this text. Some, some loving 
uh, people who love Jesus have said that these five terms are really limited to specific leadership roles within the church or kind of offices. And, and we don't necessarily hold that position here uh, because the, kind of the immediate context of this letter where Paul says to each one of us grace has been given. That's right before what, what happens here. And then right after that he says according to the proper working of each individual part. Okay? Because the idea is that we grow up into maturity here. One of the, uh, one of the cases that's made by a guy named Alan Hirsch is that we as a church have not grown up into the fullness of maturity of Christ because we've, we haven't leveraged all five of these. Okay, I'm going to unpack that for you in a minute. But first I want to take a look at these five gifts. Let's take a look at all five together in this next slide here. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, in the order that you read them there, that's, some people call that apest. Chad Temez is a teacher. He likes paste better. He says it sticks better. Get it? Ha <laughs> So, uh, but we do it in uh, apest just because of the, the order of the text there. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, or pastor, and teacher. And so I want to walk through each of these with you. And again, as you hear these terms, I want you to, to ask, is there an image of God? Is there a, a, a glimpse of the image of God in this part of the gifting that you may have had given to you in Christ? So let's start with the term apostle. Apostle literally means sent one. It's used over 80 times in the New Testament. And it's, and it's uh, sometimes referred to as there's a big A apostle and little A apostle. So the first disciples, if you would, the ones that were originally sent out by Jesus were called the big A apostles. And they were like, there was one time, these were the guys that were the, the initial guys. Okay, And some of the people in the church as well over the history have said, there's really only one apostle. There's no little A apostle. We don't agree with that. We believe that there's small a apostles, so not the original guys, but others who are sent. Because here's the problem. If we as a church say, no, no, apostles are for the old days. That's just for when those guys were here. Who's doing the sending? The church still needs to be sent. And we can say, well, the Holy Spirit does that. Of course he does. He does that partially through those of us who have apostolic giftings. Now, I don't know about you, but when I grew up, I literally believed that a church plant was a poinsettia or an Easter lily, depending on the season. And maybe you grew up that way too. Like, I did not know what a church plant was until I literally met Mike Moran. Okay? And Mike showed me that a church is meant to continue to be sent out. I didn't even think, I never thought about that. Why? Why did, why did Mike teach me that? Because this is Mike. He's all A. I don't know if you've noticed around here for the last 12 years or not, but he's like go let's go let's go let's be sent let's scatter let's go amen amen right and praise god for that praise god for that we have to continue to be sent as a church that is not stopped people don't know the good news of jesus that's why there's a team right now trying to go to a place that, that doesn't know about jesus because we're we want to center we're going to be sending people i believe there are others of you in the room who have apostolic bents have apostolic giftings. And you might go, well, I don't know. I, I'm sure, well, like Mike Moran. That's okay. Those of you in this room who may have an entrepreneurial bent. Those of you who are future-oriented in your thinking. If you're very flexible, if you're kind of like a pioneer or an innovator, that's a glimpse of the apostolic in you. Okay? That's the apostle. Let's go to prophet. Prophet. In Hebrew, the prophet, uh, the word prophet comes from a word that means to bubble forth as from a fountain. 
Okay? So in the Old Testament, the Hebrew prophets, they would hear from God, who is the fountain of life, right? And they would bubble forth, here's what God says. Like, thus saith the Lord. They couldn't help themselves. They would just tell it like it is. The prophets, they just did not care what people think. They would just say, they would call people back to holiness and say, we need to repent. This is what the prophets do. This last uh, week, we have a, a uh, a monthly pastor's prayer thing where about seven or nine churches of pastors get together we pray once pray, pray together once a month and i was thinking about these five different things in the context of not only who we are as a church but like who we are as a church in west bend in the west bend area because some of the leaders really are like higher in other letters here than others but it was funny because we got this guy named dennis ola who, who comes some of you know dennis if you lived in west bend for a while you'll know dennis or you're probably related to him he's got 43 grandchildren okay this guy's a legend okay i love dennis ola he's an amazing guy loves jesus like crazy he's all prophet He's an evangelist too, but he's like, he's heavy prophet. So we were doing prayer requests, and, and I, it was my turn to share something. I said, hey, personally, I wouldn't mind prayer for just keeping balance kind of things as a transition, leadership, and, and just a lot of kids at home and different things going on. So everyone's like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, like 15 minutes later, after we're done praying, Dennis makes this comment. He's like, hey, we, you know, guys, we just got to be careful not to be kind of praying for balance. And I was like, okay, Dennis, just throw me right under the bus. He's like, hey, man. He goes, just want to make sure, because Jesus didn't call us to balance. He called us to live everything out for for him, right? And I'm just like, Dennis was not coming at me at all. He was just loving me as a prophet, bubbling forth. He's just bubbling it forth. He's like, here's truth. Like, we were meant to lay everything aside for Jesus Christ. So I, I, you know, Dennis is all prophet. Some of you are here, and you may not know, but you have prophetic gifting. If you're here this morning and you're, you have a huge heart for justice, prophet. Okay? If you, if you want holiness and righteousness and things to be right, prophet in you. That's part of the prophet in you. Those of you who are poets, activists, advocates, environmentalists, artists, there's a decent chance there's some prophetic in you. Okay? Next, E, evangelist. Evangelist comes from the word euangelion, which means good news. So evangelists are ones who bring the good news. They bear the gospel. Now this one's not as debatable as to whether or not it still exists or not, because we, we just say, yeah, it does still exist. We just lost one of the most renowned evangelists of our time. What was his name? Billy Graham. Billy Graham was an evangelist. He would get people together, stadiums worth of people together, and he would say, hey, I got bad news. You're a sinner. You're worthy of death and God's wrath. But let me show you some amazing news. Jesus Christ is the good news. He is meant to, he's come to save you. And people would be in the crowds, like hundreds, like thousands, be like, (laughs) that's true. I need Jesus because he's an evangelist. That's what he did. It just poured forth from him. The good news, just, it just was, this is what he did. Some of you here are evangelists. Some of you are just constantly inviting people here on gatherings. You're like, hey, you should come with, you should come with, come with. You're recruiters, you're mobilizers, you're communicators, you're salespeople. Like, you are evangelists. You, you want to tell the story. You're always telling the story. Like, let me tell you this cool story. You're evangelists. Next, shepherds. Shepherds ask a question. It's, how you doing? 
And they actually care. Because they're thinking about how do we love one another? How do we develop long-lasting relationships? Now, shepherd here is also used for the word pastor. So there's actually a little bit of a kind of a skewed view of what leadership should look like in a church. Because the way that we read it, it's like, okay, well, obviously the pastor should be this. Okay, and I'm not sure that's actually true. But shepherds guard people's hearts and souls. They care for. They're, they're physicians. They mend the heart and soul. Those of you in the room who are reconcilers, you're peacemakers, you love community, you love those long, deep, meaningful relationships. This is who you are. This is part of the shepherding gift reflected in you. And lastly, but not least, is teacher. A teacher comes from the Greek root word that means teacher. I, I, don't, I, I don't know. I don't think we need to explain this. Some of you in the room are literally teachers. You love to convey truth. You're, you're literally out teaching. You'd like to disseminate information into digestible chunks and make it relevant and make sure that it, 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 it's communicated. You love to coach. You love to mentor. You love to think through ideas and philosophies. You ask some why questions. You're teachers. There's some of you in here who have this gifting. You may just not quite know it. So there are APAS people giftings, okay? And I believe that if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, that Paul said, these, there's elements of these gifts that are for you who are here in this room. And I don't think it's just a personality thing either where you take a personality Myers-Briggs test and then you say, okay, now I'm A and that's my box. That's all I do. Okay, that's not... And to, to prove that to you, I want to give you a relevant example. Why? Because I'm a teacher. It's one of my gifts. How many of you have heard of or read or seen the series called Divergent? Let me give you a secular example. Try to relate this. There you go. I'm not saying you should go watch it, but I have seen it. And so here's the deal. When you're watching the movie or seeing the, reading the book, in the Divergent series, it's a future time. And people are divided into five different groups or personalities, if you would, five different factions. And they get to choose. But they can only choose one because they have to stay in that faction because if they get outside of that faction, they become a threat to the outside, uh, I guess, the, the overlords, if you would. But the tension in the story of Divergent is that the heroine of the story is Divergent, which that means that she's more than one. If you look at these five different things, ironically, there's five of them, maybe echoes of Paul, 2,000 years later. You've got Abnegation, Amity, Candor, Erudite, and Dauntless, right? And so her boyfriend says, hey, I don't want to be just one, I want to be all five, but she actually is all five. And they start to hunt her down because they don't want that. I believe there's a parallel in that. Because I believe Satan hates the church that represents all five of the things that Paul talks about here. He hates that. He wants to incapacitate the church. And author and scholar Alan Hirsch says that that's exactly what Satan has tried to do over the years. Is he's taken the church and said, here's what you can do. You can operate with an ST. That's all you get. The A's, the P's, and the E's have become exiled outside. And I want you to think about this. Think through... Your church experience, if you have a church background, church experience, think through growing up. If you look at the leaders in the churches that you were in, primarily, what do you think they were? They were S's and T's, probably. They were probably S's and T's. Okay? And quite, if you're real honest, that's probably what you want. If you're a consumer, that makes the most sense. Because then you come and you go, oh, I'm coming to this Sunday thing. It better be good teaching. <laughs> it's raining. I'm going to get up in bed for nothing. And then you're probably thinking, well, I want to be shepherded, right? Like someone needs to take care of me. That's what this guy's job is or whoever's doing it. That's their job is shepherd for me and teach me, okay? 
The, the apostle drives me crazy. He's right trying to go out, oh, go out everywhere. Okay, and the prophets are always trying to convict me and be like, oh, look at my heart and like repent. You be quiet, you prophet. The evangelist is always about everybody else. Let's invite more people. Let's just keep it nice and small, right? So this is where we kind of we've kind of mitigated the church and incapacitated the church kind of to to just S and T's. Okay, and that's what Satan wants. He wants to just mitigate us and have us fall into this. And I got to be honest, um, I'm an ST. Okay? And so as we transition leadership here, you need to understand that at the forefront of my mind is we've transitioned from high A to ST as a community with, with me and taking Mike's role. But I know that very well. So I'm going to continue to leverage Mike. That's why I'm going to leverage Ryan Latour, who's high A. Kim Mundinger is high A. Steve Farina is prophet evangelist. David Sizdek's prophet evangelist as well. And we could go through and look at our elder board. We could look at the rest of our leaders and go, there's a, there's a, a good cross section. This, by the way, is why we need shared leadership. We have to have shared leadership in our groups, in, in our family at large, or among our elders, in, in the whole body uh, at large. Let me tell you a few stories because I've been doing small groups for a long time here. And so I'll hear funny stories and you guys will laugh at this because you have to. Anyway, so, so I'll hear people come to me. They're shepherds, right? And so they're in a small group and they'll come and they'll say, I don't really know if I like my small group. Well, why? Well, because the the leader just teaches and drones on and blah, blah, blah. What about, like, what about our needs? What about loving each other? The shepherd says. So then I get someone else over here who's a teacher who somehow got stuck in a group that's led by a shepherd. And they're just like, oh my goodness, what is this group therapy? Everyone's all like, oh, how's everyone feel? Who cares? And then you got your prophet who walks in and just starts saying, hey, you stink. There's an issue in your problem in your life. And they're like, who invited that guy? Okay. And then you get your pro, or you get your, um, or your prophets or your evangelists or your apostles like, hey, let's go out and do something, everybody. Let's go out. And then the, the shepherds are like, let's just stay in here. Let's not go anywhere. What is wrong with you? I can just give you a story after story. Here's what's going on. It's just that we're meant to be together. There's u- the diversity in the midst of the unity. We have to have shared leadership. We have to have shared leadership and grow up together in Christ. And I'd love to actually focus on the divergent theory because what I don't want us to do is to go, okay, well, I've thought through this, Troy. You know what? I'm prophet. That means that I don't have to give a rip about people. That's the shepherd's job. That is not what we want to go for. We want to, ra- we want to grow up into all five of these things because that's the fullness of maturity of Christ. Having said that, I almost have to table that idea and maybe come back to it. Because what I want to do first is I want to acknowledge that we're not even doing the ones that we're gifted in. We're not even leveraging the ones that you're gifted, like the ones that you're specifically gifted in. We're not leveraging them. And so we want to do that. We have to do that. Why? Because when we we share these gifts that we have with one another, we start to grow up in the fullness of maturity of Christ. Why do we need to grow up in our apostolic? Let me tell you why. Because there was one who is the perfect apostle. His name is Jesus. And he was sent from the Father here to buy us back, to redeem us. He's the ultimate sent one. We have to grow, if we're going to grow up in Christ, we have to be sent ones. Why do we have to grow up as prophets? Because there was one who is the perfect ultimate prophet. His name is Jesus. He didn't just bubble forth as from a fountain. He was the fountain. He is the, he is the fountain. He didn't just call us back to holiness. He is holy. He's the only one. Why do we have to grow up as evangelists? 
Because there's one who is the ultimate evangelist. His name is Jesus. And he isn't just like talking about the good news. He is the good news. Why do we have to grow up as shepherds? Because there was one who is the perfect, true, ultimate good shepherd. His name was Jesus. He came to bring healing to our hearts and our souls. Why do we have to grow up as teachers? Because there was one perfect teacher. His name is Jesus. And he didn't just know about the word. He is the word. He didn't just know about truth. He is the truth. Amen? We have to grow up into the fullness maturity of Christ. And so to do that, we have to grow up in these areas that I believe that God has called us and equipped us for. We cannot, we cannot be this giant baseball bat zucchini. We have to leverage our giftings and passions for God's glory. So here's what, here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you a few minutes. Five, actually. Or so. I think Greg's going to come play some music for us, too. Um, we put together a survey, okay? And you can, if you take your bulletin insert out, there is a QR code on the back of it. The one that you've been taking notes on? Okay, yeah, I knew that one. So uh, there's a QR code. You can take your smartphone out. And you can scan that QR code. It's going to take you to a survey. This survey is not intended to tell you which one of these things you are. Okay? I don't even know if I even believe in tests that tell you that. God's going to tell you. It's going to reveal to you by your people around you and and, in your own experience. What we want you to do, if you don't have one of those uh, smartphones, we've got hard copies, so raise your hand. And the ushers are going to hand out hard copies of this. And what we want to do is, let let me say this while you get these surveys up. I promise that you are not committing to anything. I promise that. I'm honestly not even sure what we're going to do with this information yet. But we have to get it. Because there are people, there are brothers and sisters in this room, some of you have passions and giftings that you have never even had an outlet for. I'm going to give you an example. Christian Navalis, a year and a half ago, Christian, you'll sometimes see Christian, he's at this piano. A year and a half ago, we sat down and got a whiteboard out, and he was struggling through his faith, through life and things, and and I said, hey man, tell me what you're passionate about. He said, I don't know if I'm passionate about anything. I said, I don't believe you. He said, okay, I'm I'm passionate about music. He told me a story. Christian's a gifted musician. He's a gifted pianist, trained classically. His mom taught him. And he lost his mom when he was 12 years old. And so what happened is that his heart was broken and he lost the voice, if you would, to share the good news of his giftings through this way. He loved music, but he had no, he lost his voice. He also is a Filipino and he grew up in the West Bend area. And so I, he said, I'm also passionate about helping people understand what it looks like to be of a different race raised here? How do we help the good news be good news to people of different ethnicities? I want to tell you, a year and a half later, after we were originally whiteboard on this, Christian Ivalis, he's actually in Jackson playing this morning. He's up here twice a month helping lead us worship Jesus from this piano. Praise God. Can we praise God for that? Are you taking your surveys already? Okay, I wasn't quite ready for that. This is important, okay? It's a good example, so listen up. Here we go. I met with a young guy named Josiah about a month and a half ago. And he said, Troy, he goes, I don't know what I necessarily have to offer. And I wasn't asking for anything. He was just like, yeah, I I want to offer something to the body. I don't know what I I have. He goes, I'm a mechanic. 
He goes, I, I, could, I could give about six to eight hours a month. I don't have a ton of time. I give six to eight hours a month. Maybe there's someone who needs, like, free mechanical labor. Would that help? I'm like, yeah, amen, it would help. Amen, it would help. How do we, how do we take, that's two, that's two of you. What would it look like if 800 or 1,000 of us were unleashed internally and externally for the sake of God's kingdom? Would that not be amazing? So take a few minutes. I'm going to give you five minutes. And I'll come up and close us. Give you five minutes to take this survey. And pray for us that we can figure out what to do this. Steve and I, are, Steve Farina are going to figure out how to connect some of these things. We're not going to call you tomorrow and say, you promised this. No, we're not doing that. We've got to get an inventory to start. Father, I pray that you give us wisdom as we navigate these surveys now. At the end of the day, Lord, no survey is going to, going to fulfill the, the fullness and maturity of Christ. Your Son alone is that in us and through us. But may we be built up. So show us now what you have for us. Show what you have among us, Lord, already blessed us with. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.